I'm going to teach you guys a new song today. It's called uh, Christ is Risen by uh, Matt Marr. Um, I'm going to sing the chorus uh, by myself, kind of give you guys the, the gist of how it goes, and then um, you guys can come in on the verse with me.
and so thankful, Lord, that you rose from the grave, Lord, um, making us one with you again. God, um, you bridged the gap, Lord, that we may have fellowship and communion with you, Lord. And this morning, we gather together, Lord, as one church body to lift up one voice to you, Lord, and to open up your word, God, and let it speak to us. Lord, um, we pray that um, 
you would lead and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
we gather here this morning, Lord, to exalt you, Lord, to to glorify you. God, we thank you that you sent your own son, Lord, to walk this earth, God, to give us an example of how to live, how to love, God, and then ultimately walking to Calvary, God, to lay down his life for our sin and our shame, Lord. And because of that this morning, Lord, we have eternal life, God, and uh, we can be hopeful and thankful in that. And Lord, we just pray over um, Jim, God, that you would just speak through him this morning. God, open up our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name. Well, as Chris mentioned, we uh, don't have Lift Church today. Normally, we'd have a spot for those kiddos to go hang out, uh, but they get to hear me today, so uh, we'll try to keep it interesting for you. We're going to uh, be studying from the book of Second John, so if you want to turn over there and have that open in your Bibles. We're going to take a close look at this uh, passage, and I wanted to kind of start off with a little preface uh, and just ask a question. If, have you ever seen or heard somebody do or say something that surprised you because it seemed pretty far out of character? Uh, when I was in my 20s, um, when I was dating my wife and actually when we were first married, I was working for uh, Kroger Foods in a distribution warehouse. And it was a great job. I worked nights. I worked holidays every weekend, um, midnight shift. You know, it was wonderful. And uh, it was very physically demanding. You know that old song, uh, you load 16 tons, what do you get? That was an, a light night for us, honestly. We were uh, oftentimes loading as much as 40 tons of product onto a pallet in a night. Uh, so you can kind of guess the sort of crew that I worked with there. And it was a fairly rough uh, crowd and and uh, there was one young man in particular who was had this kind of stringy hair and a beard. He looked like a biker type, and this guy's arms were bigger than most men's thighs, and he just gave off this really intimidating vibe. And you know, when I thought back about it, I I never actually saw him be mean to anyone, but you know, he just had this look that you didn't want to test his patience, and so. Uh, one night on our lunch break, which was at about 2.30 in the morning, I was... I'm in love for Jesus, and we were discussing some Old Testament history and kind of trying to remember the finer points on this, and out of the blue, this big burly guy jumps in and fills in the details for us, and... We just sat there grinning at each other because we uh, we did not expect that this guy uh, had any interest in the Bible or know it or, you know, anything. And, and we were wrong. He was a Christian, but he was an, an introvert. And he had just found that it was more comfortable for him to let people draw their own conclusions about who he was and leave him alone. And uh, 
so you know we were surprised by that and, and went on to develop a friendship with this guy but but it was that that step out of character that sort of caught us off guard and this book uh, that we're about to study is is kind of like that and it it is a break in uh, in the character the apostle of love wrote and he places emphasis on truth and you might even say that he concludes that truth trumps love uh, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself so let's uh, let Heath come up, if you would, and uh, he's going to read uh, the, the passage that we're going to be studying for us. We're going to read uh, all of Second John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us, and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Thanks, Eve. Let's, uh, let's bow. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your revealed word of truth. And Father, we just pray that your words would sink deep in our hearts, that they would change us, that we would live our lives to your glory. Father, may your word speak forth this, this morning. Uh, give us hearts that are open and pliable. And Father, we ask that you would just shape us into the children of yours that you would have us to be. Give us hearts of humility and hearts of love. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this letter that's uh, extolling truth is paramount is uh, surprising, again, because it was written by the Apostle of Love. But the key word throughout this uh, passage is truth. And it was written by the Apostle John. And uh, these were some of the last writings to be added to uh, the collection of works that we know as the, the New Testament. Verses 1 and 2, this letter is from John, the elder. I am writing to, you, to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth. 
as does everyone else who knows the truth. Because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. The letter begins with this greeting, identifying the writer as the elder. And uh, John had been exiled to the island of Patmos. And um, he was uh, uh, there when he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in the book of Revelation. And he apparently had either extraordinary genetics or he was treated pretty well on this island because he was in his 90s uh, when he wrote this. And in that day and age, that was pretty uh, rare indeed. And so um, his uh, reference to the elder was probably both to his age and to the, the office that he held as uh, shepherd, pastor, or elder. And if you didn't know, those three words are synonymous in the New Testament. They, they use the same word to translate as all three. Um, and then his greeting is addressed to Electa, is the exact word he used, or the chosen lady. And the title could have been to a specific person, uh, but most scholars think that it is more likely to have uh, been written to a church uh, with the uh, feminine reference to her being appropriate as the church is positionally the bride of Christ. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. So John is so known for his emphasis on love, uh, and he takes a little different tack here by putting this greater weight on truth and the teaching about Jesus. But he doesn't divert completely from his character, and he he does stay uh, with a theme here, and one of those is identifying Jesus as God um, and emphasizing love. If you've read through the Gospel of John, which I think is one of those books that if you're talking to a new Christian, that's a great one to point them to, to start learning the Bible. Uh, You really cannot come away with any other conclusion after reading John that Jesus is anyone but, in fact, God. Uh, Then uh, here in this verse, he finishes, John finishes by clarifying the recipients as those who live in truth and love. And this is important because we learn from the Bible and what to do and how to act in those things in three important ways. One is just straight out command, do this. Another is examples that we see. And, and the third is necessary inference. And John is creating an inference here. He's inferring uh, that uh, those who live in truth and love will in fact be identifiable. We won't walk around wondering who those people are. Verse 4, live in the truth. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. So the reference to her children walking in truth and love further probably hints at these being converts uh, who were continuing in the truth rather than, in fact, her actual children who he had met somewhere else in the world uh, apart from their family, which would have been an uncommon practice in that day. More likely, it was a letter written to a, uh, a specific congregation within the universal church of, of Christianity. Verse 5. I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have heard from the beginning. So John takes a bold tone here in delivering a command, and it's further indi- indication of his position of authority uh, and also that he understood his reader would hold him in a position of respect. Uh, 
the command is to love one another, and that echoes an oft-repeated theme in the New Testament. I'll just read a few of those. Uh, the next slide is Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And then one last one here, 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. So back to Second John verse 6. Love means doing what God has commanded. And he commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. So this love is commanded for uh, all who are believers to demonstrate towards other true believers. And John further clarifies the command by telling us how to demonstrate uh, that love for each other. And that's by uh, following and keeping God's commandments. Uh, this is a good verse because it points to evidence of the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, in the lives of our fellow believers. Uh, if we are one of the saved, we can expect that there will be some spiritual fruits that are evident. And uh, what, what we, the saved, are doing is we're translating the gospel into life uh, and actually demonstrating the gospel in action. Uh, I will offer a caveat, though, here and a warning. Uh, stay clear of any understanding uh, that would point to being a moral, righteous, or good person in order to demonstrate that you're saved. And uh, we talked about this in Jason's class this morning uh, with some of the denominations out there and the difference. Um, being saved results in a love response. So in humility and in gratitude, uh, we... For the great gift we've been given, we, we want to glorify God by being moral, righteous, and a good person. Verse 7 and 8. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that, they do not, uh, that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Uh, be diligent so that you receive your full reward. So John goes on here to, to express intolerance for false teachers. And these weren't just ignorant people who were living outside of the church in sin. And, and he wasn't directing his anger to Greeks who were promoting the worship of Zeus or some other Greek god. Uh, John's ire was directed here to people who were claiming to be Christians, who claimed to be inside the church and yet we're teaching falsely about Jesus. So bear in mind that not many should be teachers and that those who do teach will be judged more harshly. James 3, 1 and 2. 
Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers of the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and also control ourselves in every other way. So this should give us pause to anyone who uh, places themselves in a teaching role, says the guy who's teaching. Uh, be, be prayerfully careful uh, that your words would be in accordance with divine scripture and in no way contradict God's revealed truth. Verse 9. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. So, just want to kind of discuss this one. Is our understanding of who Jesus is important? Uh, does it matter if you have one person who says Jesus was a great teacher, he was a moral man, he demonstrated how if we have the right attitude toward our fellow human being, society will run better will be more peaceful, it'll be a better place. And over here you have another person who claims Christ and says, he is God, he is the source of all authority and all truth, and he is the only way to salvation and heaven. So as long as both of these people are good, moral, righteous people, it shouldn't matter, right? It should be okay. I think it's really interesting in our society how we demand strict adherence to truth in every area of teaching except spirituality. And when it comes to that one, we kind of throw it out there and just kind of, you know, loosey-goosey, whatever goes. We wouldn't let a teacher tell our children that the world is actually flat. We wouldn't let a teacher tell our children that if you hold a feather and close one eye, you can jump off a 10-story building and survive. That would be wrong, right, kids? You couldn't do that. And so why is it that we accept this loose uh, version of the truth when it comes to spirituality? Well, John teaches his, in this short letter that a proper understanding of Jesus is not just important, it's critical. And he takes this to the point of recommending disfellowship uh, with anyone who teaches falsely, even calling them the Antichrist. And that's an interesting concept as well because people are often, you know, New Testament Christians looking in the Revelation, who will be the Antichrist? Well, this was a spirit of Antichrist that existed even back then. And, uh, and he's, John is telling us we have to teach the truth and we have to stay on the truth. And that, again, is consistent with other New Testament teachings. Uh, I think one of the go-to verses is Galatians 1, 8 and 9. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. So what was this false teaching that was going around? It was serious because uh, John directs his readers not only to uh, reject the teaching, but also shun the people who were teaching it. And I just want to say there's, there's really nothing new under the sun. Uh, when uh, this, well, let's just go back to the 1800s. There was, a, there was a movement called intellectualism. And 
it was started by men like Immanuel Kant and, and others. And what they promoted was that uh, true ascension and enlightenment could be attained uh, by man's own reason and man's own discovery of the truth. What they were doing is they were elevating knowledge to godhood. They were making it their god. Um, and it wasn't a new idea. Uh, in fact, it was pretty much the first lie ever told. If you go back to the garden where uh, Satan tempted Eve, I'll read Genesis 3, 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And from that day until now, humans have been pretty much trying to prove that no one is the boss of them, that they are smart enough to handle their own affairs, and in fact, they're like God. And that little test is actually a good one to apply to any religion. So whenever you hear a religion that's claiming to be truth, just ask, does this religion promote that if I believe a certain way, if I adhere to a certain set of behaviors, if I uh, uh, learn certain knowledge, follow certain rules, that I will uh, achieve enlightenment, I will uh, achieve nirvana, salvation, paradise, etc., etc., you fill in the blank. Um, that's what's so unique about Christianity, and it's what makes us different. We're the only religion that teaches that human beings cannot achieve reconciliation with God on their own efforts. It's impossible. God kind of looks down at us as we build our little scaffolding to get to him, this little construct. And he goes, I got this. I'll come to you. And he did, in the form of a man we know as Jesus Christ. And he was perfect, and yet he was tempted just like all of us. And in that perfection, his ability to resist those temptations and remain perfect, he proved he was the perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of every other imperfect human on the planet. So, even in John's day, there was a similar lie going about. Uh, and John was calling him out on it. And he alludes to what this lie was um, when uh, he re referred to them saying Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And in that day, it was called Gnosticism. Believe it or not, this still exists, this belief today. It's still going around. Um, and these Gnostics taught that they had a secret knowledge that came through a special revelation. And this secret knowledge made them just a little higher up in the saved realm than anyone else. Um, and uh, this, this lie that they had, which uh, they paraded as truth, was that Jesus hadn't actually come in the flesh uh, because all material things, anything made out of matter, was inherently corrupt and evil. And therefore, God could not have come as a material being, but instead was a uh, spirit that appeared to be a man. And uh, that would make Jesus out to be a liar. Uh, so there's some serious problems with that sort of a belief. Second John verses 10 and 11 if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. 
anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. And so John clearly considered this teaching to be outside the truth, absolutely unacceptable, calls them a deceiver and an antichrist, and he goes on further to say they have no relationship with God. And he also says that those who remain in the truth will prove that they are continuing in a relationship with both the Father and the Son. Now, it might not sound very loving to us, coming especially from the Apostle of Love, um, but uh, he says this is how you're to treat a heretic. Anyone who teaches something contrary to the teaching that's in the Bible, don't invite them into your home, don't encourage them. If you do, you participate in their evil acts. We'll finish up with verses 12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink. For I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Greetings from the children of your sister chosen by God. So in this short little letter, John gives us some great truths. Uh, Love one another. Demonstrate it by walking in the truth. Reject false teachings and those who spread it. And he finishes with this upbeat note of a reference to our family. Uh, It's not hard to love your sister. And these two little sisters in the picture, uh, who many of you will recognize, they certainly do. And uh, so my ending encouragement here is just rejoice in the fellowship of the family of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that you reveal to us. We pray that we would remember them, that your words would always be on our lips and on our hearts, and that we would be able to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Father, open our eyes to opportunities to evangelize and disciple and give us the courage to speak when those opportunities arise. And may we lead first, always with love, and continue in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.